Lord impresses on us to share different things. And um, prayer was one of them. And what was said was that um, when we pray, we need to focus on having an audience of one. That's God. It's very possible for anyone to forget that or become distracted or not be together when we're praying, not be focused. And so the caution was given that we need to each continue to give our utmost concentration when we pray that we really focus only on the Lord because after all it's a communication conversation not between us and God and other people but directly to the Lord and so as if we're standing before him what, how would we concentrate, what would we say how would we be broken and yet full of joy those real elements are encouraged to be there when we pray and uh, mentioned some things such as it's not meant to be a Bible study where we're teaching people while we're praying, we're thinking about other people, what they're going to hear, and how we can school them, or um, it's not meant to be something to lecture and so on. It's not to say that we cannot bring up things God has taught us and work through that while we're praying. nothing wrong with that. It's actually good when we rehearse what God has done, what he's taught, the ways in which he helps us to understand them better and we're thanking him. So the point was really that as long as it's sincere and genuine, then who can find fault? The person is talking to God with a healthy reverence and they're, they're praying naturally in the way they best can communicate to God. And some people think things out loud while they're praying. They work through things. Other people, it's very straightforward and simple. One, two, three. God has made us a variety of people with different propensities and ways in which we communicate. But God is looking for sincerity. So, I want to make sure no one misunderstands that. It's not to say that everyone has to pray a certain way a certain style or you can never say Lord I thank you for teaching me this that's not lecturing necessarily or thank you Lord the other day I read this and Lord you know what I went to the store there's nothing wrong with that however if that's meant to inform other people who are listening we take the focus off of the Lord it becomes a problem so that was the point being made and um it's something worth considering, listening to, and then seeing whether when we pray, we're really focusing on the Lord. And as we grow in the Lord, that concentration will become very, very focused, where we literally are instantly in the presence of God. We can feel it, that I'm talking to God. And even if a million people around me praying with me, I'm virtually oblivious to them because I'm talking to the Lord. It's a natural communication. And so the style is not the issue. Not even so much the content, as long as there's sincerity and there's complete concentration on the one to whom we're praying as if we're standing before him. So I hope that clarification helps. No one need feel guilty that pastor is asking them to pray a certain way. And the only thing we say is, is our duty, scripturally, is that people are sincere. Um, and people are focused, understanding this is talking to God. And uh, with that, the prayer life will change the more we realize that. And so that's the beautiful thing. As we go on with God, our prayers will become more potent and powerful, effective, and really reach God because we're praying in a way that is completely absorbed with the Lord. Praise God. We are going to turn. Let's see what the Lord shows us in Mark chapter 6, where we left off yesterday with the 12 being sent out. Now there's a portion here about John the Baptist uh, coming to the end of his life. And uh, 
God willing, we'll make some observations here. Mark chapter 6, verse 14. Now King Herod heard of him, for his name had become well known. And speaking of Jesus. And he said, John the Baptist is risen from the dead, and therefore these powers are at work in him. He thought it was John the Baptist, who was seen the story, he had executed because he couldn't stand the righteous condemnation of the truth because he wasn't living right. And he said, John the Baptist is risen from the dead and therefore these powers are at work in him. Others said it is Elijah. And others said it is the prophet or like one of the prophets. But when Herod heard, he said, this is John whom I beheaded. He was certain this has to be John. He's come back to maybe hold him accountable, maybe show that he was righteous after all. He thought he came back from the dead in the person of Jesus. This is John whom I beheaded. He has been raised from the dead. For Herod himself had sent and laid hold of John and bound him in prison for the sake of Herodias, his brother Philip's wife, for he had married her. Power corrupts, it's been said. We've made this observation before that we've actually seen this, unfortunately, in many places, that when a person is given authority or power, usually abuse comes in and they forget where they came from and they take liberties to do evil similar to having a lot of wealth when people are given the power of having wealth and money the convenience doing what they feel like they almost feel above the law and invincible they take liberties and then they get caught and they become disgraced well these people were very powerful in that day having power with Rome and so when he wanted his brother's wife he thought no one can stop me I'll do it but this lone preacher John had said to Herod it is not lawful for you to have your brother's wife he was a prophet he was a preacher of righteousness. He was called to show people the righteous way of the Lord, to prepare the ways of the Lord. Therefore, Herodias, this sister-in-law who had now married her brother-in-law, held it against him and wanted to kill him. But she could not. In the first instance, you see that John the Baptist had spoken and he was beheaded and that Herod who was evil and who was condemned by the preaching of John the Baptist because he preached righteousness had this fear that that man that I beheaded has come back now to haunt me. That's what happens. Even when evil seemingly triumphs and people seem to get that annoying preacher out of their hair they know deep down inside they're in trouble and it will haunt them such is the power of the truth this woman she was a murderess we'll see her daughter is no different like mother like daughter Rhodes wanted to kill him, but she could not. For Herod feared God, knowing that he was a just and holy man, and he protected him. So he had this respect for him, and yet he disobeyed the truth. Eventually, as a coward, he caved in. He said something, he opened his mouth, made a promise, and he foolishly did it, and he had to fulfill it. Ended up actually murdering the holy and just man bringing more blood upon his own heads. Verse 20, For Herod feared 
John, knowing that he was a just and holy man, and he protected him. And when he heard him, he did many things and heard him gladly. So there's a certain measure of respect that he had for John the Baptist. He felt drawn to him. At the same time, he wanted to do his own thing. That's what got him in trouble. It's like today, many people are drawn to Jesus, drawn to the Holy Ghost message, church where miracles are happening. But when you tell them to do something, that's the point in which they say, I can make my own decisions. There's no submission. And that gets people in trouble. We've seen that routinely. It's sad, but that submission is a very difficult thing for most people. The sad thing is that they make decisions and there's something always that goes wrong, even if they try to cover it up. Why? Because when God gives counsel to the shepherds, either, number one, it's not sought, or number two, even when it is heard, it's refused, Trouble is bound to happen, one form or another. And you see this really portrayed in the life of Herod. He was drawn to this John the Baptist. He knew he had power. And as the people came to John the Baptist in the wilderness, including the soldiers and the Pharisees and all these people, John told them exactly what they needed to do. And John the Baptist, being a prophet, he knew there are those in the crowd who came as if they really adored him and adored the preaching, but he revealed a heart. He said, Brood of Vipers, who warned you to flee the wrath to come? He said, listen, the axe is laid at the, at the tree roots, at the bottom of the tree, and it's getting ready to be cut down. So make sure you actually prove your repentance by your works. So God emphasizes right here in this passage about this obedience and this what Herod missed. John was available. The Spirit of God provided John the prophet, John the Baptist's prophet. And Herod had access to him. Herod was drawn to him. But Herod was independent of the truth. So Herod went to hell. Look how this plays out. How people who think that they can get away with disobeying God they get caught in their own deception then an opportune day came who do you think set this up the devil whom Herod served he just sealed his fate he killed the holy man then an opportune day came when Herod on his birthday gave a feast for his nobles the high officers and the chief men of Galilee. And when Herodias' daughter herself came in and danced, and pleased Herod, and those who sat with him, the king said to the girl, Ask me whatever you want. This is stepdaughter, is it not? My daughter asked me whatever you want, and I will give it to you. He also swore to her, Whatever you ask me, I will give you up to half my kingdom. As I was looking at, meditating on this earlier, I was thinking how it's important not to be swayed emotionally by anything. We need to be people of the truth, people who have a standard. This world, and even many Christians, they're easily taken back by performance. How many people do you know? The moment a certain person sings a certain way, or they preach a certain way, they get emotionally moved. Never mind the content. They might be saying some old wives' fable. But the delivery is where it's at. Good actors in the world is moved. Let no Christian be moved emotionally by any performance anywhere. You need to be moved only by the truth. For that, it takes self-control and discipline, learning, training to quiet down, observe carefully what the Spirit of God is saying, and when the majority go with being pleased and wowed by performance, God will keep you stable and away. 
while he got into this trap. He was a man of the world. And when he saw this dance, he was amazed. How is my stepdaughter dancing? And everybody's seeing this. They know she belongs to me now. Married to her mother, who used to be my brother's wife. And uh, everybody's, look at this, everybody's happy. The high officers, the feast, feasting nobles. And it's my birthday. The mood, everything is set just right. And he just signed his life away to hell. This girl goes to her mommy. Isn't it sweet? She just did a little dance. She goes now to her mother. Everybody's following, tracking her. Mother, what shall I ask? Stepdad, King Herod, just asked me, what do you want up to the half of my kingdom, he said, he'll give. And the mother said, without batting an eye, the head of John the Baptist. What a murderous woman. She was a first century Jezebel. That means she was holding that for a long time. I'm not going to rest until I see that man who my new husband says is holy and just until he's destroyed from off the face of the earth. How can somebody say this like this? I want the head of John and that too to a daughter. Well, the daughter, like mother, murderous, begets murderous. Immediately she came in with haste to the king and asked, can you imagine that? Everybody's watching again now. She goes, it's like coming across the, uh, the hockey rink on the ice from one end to the other, or from the dugout to a part of the field, and they're just watching. How do you think she's going to ask? I want the most beautiful horses as a gift. I'd like to have your personal chef as my personal chef. Immediately she came in with haste, this young girl, to the king and asked, saying, I want you to give me at once. Can you see Herod sitting at the edge of his seat? I don't know how many clothing she's going to ask for, articles of clothing and fancy stuff. And I'm ready. I'm going to show everybody here I have what it takes. I want you to give me at once the head of John the Baptist on a platter. How gruesome. And the king was exceedingly sorry. Yet because of the oaths and because of those who sat with him, he did not want to refuse her. He sealed his fate. Immediately the king sent an executioner. What happened to the fear of this holy just man being attracted to him and respecting him? Everything went out the window. Because Herod, after all, lived for himself. In just an instant, he became an accomplice, and actually the chief murderer with the accomplice, his new wife, ex-sister-in-law, actually simultaneously, sister-in-law and wife, and another little murderess, it's like uh, the viper, it says in Psalms, soon as these wicked people are born, they're like the snakes that hatch, just like the parents. And he proved, you know, this one family, all in the family here, were a murderous bunch. Probably should have gotten married a long time ago because we fit each other so perfectly. He sent the executioner and commanded his head to be brought. And he went and beheaded him in prison, brought his head on a platter and gave it to the girl. So quickly, the life of a righteous man snuffed out. Of course, it was a transition. He instantly went to be with the Lord, God in heaven. But the body so quickly destroyed the life this head of this holy man was brought on a platter given to the girl we don't read that the girl started screaming 
that she ran from the platter. She was very bold when she asked it, but now that the head of this holy man was brought to her on a platter as she asked, she just took it, as a matter of fact, so cold, this woman and this girl, cold-blooded murderers, and the girl gave it to her mother. What a gift. How horrible. Sometimes we can read this, and because they come past a few verses in the text, we need to really understand the depths of human nature, the depravity and evil. We need to train ourselves to remain innocent. By that I mean, we can get used to people dying, we can get used to statistics and people suffering. We can shoot off texts, very endearing, and I'm praying for you, and I'm really sorry, put all kinds of faces and signs. And you know what? In the same breath, talk about other things, and it's very transient, it's very temporal, very superficial. We need to say, Lord, I don't want to be like this. And God knows we're not called to bear the weight of the world. We could could not cry for a whole day for everybody in the world that's dying. However, there needs to be something more than just a superficial exchange and expressing sympathy. There has to be some feeling like God. Help me to not go past that and take things in stride where I can just talk about things without feeling anything. Herod had this dangerous sympathy and cowardice to bow to the pressure of people pleasing. That's a dangerous thing. At the same time, there's a genuine sympathy when people are hurting that we should feel. Notice the irony there. He cared about himself and what the living people thought were evil. And the man that he knew was holy and just, even though he didn't like his advice, he went against it, ended up murdering him. Herod was a big mess, and so are many people today. We need to pray, Lord, keep me innocent. Keep me humble. Keep me feeling like a human being when I hear about suffering. And if we find that we're starting to get self-centered and are able to quickly switch topics, a real actress or a real actor, we need to say, Lord, I don't want this. Help me to be careful, to be tender-hearted. And to feel the pain when I need to, to really, really sympathize and help from the heart. God only knows how many people have done acts of mercy, quote unquote. How many people have sung for people, preached for people, written cards for people, texted people. And in God's eyes, it was superficial. But when we don't live in the presence of God and we don't really understand that God is watching every single thing, it's easy to be an actress or an actor. So Herod was deceived. Even though he feared John the Baptist, he obviously didn't really believe that he's going to have to face God for this execution. He was a fool. But we can escape from going down the same fate, fatalistic road if we're humble. So this story is here, this true story, not only to give us uh, the story about the end of John the Baptist's life on earth, but it really shows the wickedness and the uh, very nonchalant attitude toward murder that these people have, this so-called royal family. 
when his disciples heard of it, verse 29, they came and took away his corpse and laid it in a tomb. Now, in the other gospel, the Lord was told about this incident, and then he removed himself to another territory, another place, because he knew there's a schedule also for his life, and he was going exactly where his father wanted him to go. We need to discern what God wants us to do and when. Otherwise, we can be doing things on our own, thinking that, well, God's in this. He's got to be in this. And the leanness sets in, eventually. Then the apostles gathered to Jesus and told them all things, both what they had done and what they had taught. Remember, we read that he sent them out to cast out devils and heal the sick and so on. And he said to them, Come aside by yourselves to a deserted place and rest a while. For there were many coming and going, and they did not even have time to eat. So they departed to a deserted place in the boat by themselves. The need was so great. And people were there all the time and it got to be too much. And the Lord came and counseled them. We need to take a little break. But we know every time we take a break from ministry, it's an opportunity for the Lord to still keep teaching us. And God is going to teach them something else now. So they departed to a deserted place in the boat by themselves. But the multitude saw them departing, and many knew him and ran there on foot from all the cities. They arrived before them and came together to him. And Jesus, when he came out, saw a great multitude. Here's the crowd again. He didn't run away the other side, to the other side. Run the other way. And he was moved with compassion for them because they were like sheep, not having a shepherd. He recognized and knew that the real problem was not that they didn't get the healing or they wanted the healing and they're looking for that or they needed uh, food. The real problem is they are a sheep without having a shepherd, no guidance. They're doing whatever they felt like doing. So he began to teach them many things. So he sees there's an absence of a shepherd. The next portion of the verse doesn't say, so he began to shepherd them. It says he began to teach them many things. That's how he fed them. That's the role of shepherd. Spiritually. To teach. And there are many people today who say, I don't want to hear doctrine, I don't want to hear... What I want to hear is things or things that make me feel good and empower me to go out and do things. Ready, set, go. No sitting, waiting, submission, being trained, listening carefully, seeing if there's a growth in maturity. It's too hard that way. It's much easier if you can pack a curriculum in a book Tell them, read this, and come to this meeting and that meeting. And we'll empower you and then let you loose. Go out and change the world. He began to teach them many things. When the day was now far spent, his disciples came to him and said, This is a deserted place, and already the hour is late. Send them away that they may go into the surrounding country and villages and buy themselves bread. For they have nothing to eat. 
came and they were giving advice to the Lord as if he didn't know. But he answered and said to them, you give them something to eat. He's saying, in effect, I'm not interested in sending them anywhere. They came for the spiritual bread. While they come for the spiritual bread, as in Matthew 6.33, he said, they'll be provided for. I'm in charge. But at this point, he wanted to test their faith. So they said to him, shall we go and buy 200 denarii worth of bread and give them something to eat? But he said to them, how many loaves do you have? Go and see. And when they found out, they said five and two fish. The other gospels, of course, have more dialogue involved here. But he made them or commanded them to sit Uh, commanded them to make them all sit down in groups on the green grass. So they sat down in ranks in hundreds and in fifties. And when he had taken the five loaves and the two fish, he looked up to heaven, blessed and broke the loaves, and gave them to his disciples to set before them. And the two fish he divided among them all. So they all ate and were it's a lesson among other lessons that if we seek the Lord first if we seek his heavenly manna if we seek his presence all of those things that seem to be interferences and hindrances and concerns God takes care of if we have enough faith to believe him that he's in control because we're seeking him after all. Do you recall in your own life when issues came up, why you couldn't come to the presence of God? All kinds of things. And how there were pressing concerns and needs and many excuses. But as you grew, you began to see that God can take care of this. God can take care of that. I have become accustomed to how the devil brings up urgent things that seem to interfere with me seeking God the way he wants me to. And in the growth process, we come to see that we can trust God for some things now, but not for all things. And then there's more growth because we get to trust God more. We see the bigger picture. We can see spiritually Not only do I need this, but I need that too because God's making this available. I want all of it. And for that, I'm willing to give up everything. I was praying with Pastor Cooper earlier today, including for the church, and the phrase came to mind from the gospel that the Lord said, that pearl of great price, where we're willing to trust God that if we give up, those things that we think we just must have for that pearl of great price. His manna, his truth, everything that he has for us, the spiritual food, he'll take care of the rest of the stuff. And so this was at least one lesson that these disciples needed to learn. When the Lord draws people to teach them, he will provide for them. He'll take care of us. Where God leads, it's true. He will provide, provided we have faith to believe Him. They all ate, and it's important, the rest of it says, and were filled. God is a good God. He's a God who satisfies. He's the God who does things abundantly for His children. And there are leftovers. And they took up 12 baskets full of fragments and of the fish. These baskets of fragments surely exceeded the starting material of the five loaves and two fish. Not two baskets here, or three, twelve baskets. I suppose each basket will hold 
at least a few fish, 12 baskets full of fragments, certainly five loaves and two fish were multiplied exceedingly. And we know because about 5,000 men were fed with it and they were filled according to verse 44. Immediately he made his disciples get into the boat and go before him to the other side, to Bethsaida, while he sent the multitude away. <clears throat> and when he had sent them away, he departed to the mountain to pray. A lot of prayer in the Lord's ministry. Something we need to really get it deep into, get deep into our understanding. We need to pray and Sometimes it's easy to pray with people, but not so easy for a lot of people to really pray one-on-one -on -one to the Lord and say, Lord, I really don't want to say things I'm not supposed to say. I don't want to speak out of turn, Lord. I don't want to be a superficial person, Lord. I don't want to say Christian lingo and different things, and I really want to do what you want me to do. Teach me, Lord to put a rain over my mouth and the things that I feel like doing really kill this thing this carnal impulsivity I don't want it it can only happen by genuine prayer going to God and saying Lord change me he departed to the mountain to pray the Lord never sinned but he depended upon the Father now when evening came, see, he got his instructions during that time on the mountain when he prayed. Because he said, what I see the Father do, I do. What I hear him say, I speak. So the Father already showed him that you, my beloved son, you're going to be walking on the water. This is what we're going to do. After praying, when the evening came, the boat was in the middle of the sea. And he was alone on the land. Then he saw them straining at rowing, for the wind was against them. So it's not just a demonstration of his supernatural power to walk on the water, but he saw need. They were struggling. Now about the fourth watch of the night he came to them walking on the sea and would have passed them by. And when they saw him walking on the sea they supposed it was a ghost and cried out for they all saw him and were troubled. It says that he would have passed them by. It's not to imply that he wouldn't have helped them. He set out knowing the need. He would have definitely helped them, but it's written here that he would have passed them by and they caught a glimpse of him walking on the sea. They thought it was a ghost or a spirit and cried out and they were very troubled. Immediately he talked with them and said to them, be of good cheer. It is I. Do not be afraid. Then he went up into the boat to them. And the wind ceased. We saw this before, how he calmed the storm. And he did it again. And they were greatly amazed in themselves, beyond measure and marveled. For they had not understood about the loaves because their heart was hardened. Something to allow ourselves to be diagnosed if need be. That we can see God do miracles and unbelief can set in. We can fail to see that God can do it again. He can do many things. He can do anything. And we encourage each other when we gather together, when we read the scriptures, when we pray. Let's continue to look to the Lord. Let's continue to trust Him. God will do it yet again. God will do even more. 
That's who He is. The one who can do exceeding abundantly above all that we can ask or think. So, verse 51 should not read, and they were greatly amazed in themselves beyond measure and marveled. In light of verse 52, it's not meant to be a commendation that they were greatly amazed beyond measure and marveled. It's written immediately after that, as we just saw, their hearts were hardened. And it's another marker of growth and faith that although we are extremely grateful to the Lord, our faith and our concept, our understanding of His power and His greatness, His nearness, His love, keeps growing because we're maturing. We're dying to ourselves more and more and Christ is taking over our very consciousness, our understanding. His word is consuming us as we consume the word. And we're walking in the supernatural expecting God to intervene and do great things. Hearts are not hardened. It's an ideal place to live. Walking so closely with the Lord where we know He will come through for His children. And the rest of this chapter, a few more verses, when they had crossed over, they came to the land of Gennesaret and anchored there. And when they came out of the boat, immediately the people recognized Him, ran through that whole surrounding region, and began to carry about on beds those who were sick to wherever they heard he was. So the healing ministry continues. God uh, teaches the disciples privately many things. What he spoke in parables to the multitudes, he explained privately to those who really wanted to know. He demonstrated his supernatural power and compassion privately to them. But also, there's an ongoing ministry where he cared for everybody and he continued to minister to them. And the whole thrust of it was that they may believe on his name because, as we often say, what good, good is it if your relative gets healed of a deadly disease and ends up going to hell, physically healthy, and then eternally destroyed spirits and body. What a tragedy. So, our understanding is enlightened that the Lord, everything He did was so that people can have eternal life and then the benefits that come along with it. But He will touch people where they are in their problems, problem areas, to demonstrate that He is who He says He is. He can be trusted. The people came running. They began to carry about on beds these makeshift stretchers or mats. Those who were sick, obviously they couldn't walk. They're carrying these people to wherever they heard he was. What a scene. Multitudes coming with so many people that the, the Lord was this mobile hospital before any vehicles were there. There's a power source of healing and they just came. They flocked to John the Baptist like iron fillings to a magnet looking for a cure for their aching souls because under his preaching they got convicted that they are sick spiritually. With the Lord Jesus they came for both reasons spiritual illness and physical illness. He was the one who can do much more than John the Baptist. Wherever he entered into villages, cities, or the country, they laid the sick in the marketplaces, right there in the streets, and begged him that they might touch 
the hem of his garment. And it doesn't say the end over here. I'm so thankful for the rest of this verse because the excitement was there, the anticipation was there, the faith was there, the people were there, the multitudes, the needy, everything was set, the stage is set. But he could have maybe selected a few people that the first five people that touch my garment, the hem of my garment will get saved. But thankfully it says as many as touched him were made well. In several places in scripture, in the gospels we read, he healed them all. And it was the people who did not believe in those villages, in those settings, that he couldn't do many mighty works, except a few sick folk were healed. He laid his hands on them. May God help us to love the Lord with all our heart, mind, soul, and strength, and expect him still to come through. There are a number of things here that were uh, observed. It's not just the healing for the body, something that is desperately needed in many, many cases. We long for it. We believe God's promise. But also the healing of one's soul, um, not only of people who are not saved, but people who are Christians, who are spiritually sick. Because... One or more things that the Lord told them to do, they don't do. And so the spiritual sickness and leanness comes in. That's important to the Lord. It's more important than physical healing. To be right with Him in obedience. Praise be to God. Praise be to the Lord. Praise be to God. We have so many things in Mark already that we've seen. And God keeps reinforcing that we need to trust in Him even when there's a situation where there's not enough multitudes and only a handful of food items, as the people sought Jesus for the heavenly manner, and he called them, whatever their motives were, his objective was, I'm going to give them the words of eternal life. And since they're here, I'll take care of the rest of their needs. Praise God. Praise God. But there's a training involved and God wants us to keep trusting Him that if we're doing His will, if we are where we're supposed to be, then He'll take care of everything. But in specific application to each of us, we want to be sure 100% that everything the Lord wants us to do is all that we're doing. Everything. And that there's nothing that we have assumed was His will when we really haven't checked with Him. We're never called to set our spiritual planes, if you will, on autopilot. But actually, navigate under the guidance of the Holy Spirit everything we do. Praise be to the Lord. Heavenly Father, we thank you for showing us, Lord, the the terrible state of a deceived heart such as with Herod, Lord. Now he was led to murder your prophet. And how he would have faced and faces forever. One of the worst torments in hell, along with his murderous wife and murderous stepdaughter, they're all involved. Lord, you you show very clearly the result of sin, the result of fearing people and 
having pride and people pleasing and saving face while committing even worse sins. You show us the importance of making foolish promises, pledging things that we should not, especially to evil people or under the pressure that the devil would like to bring. Help us, Lord, to be people who are able to really be quick to listen, slow to speak, slow to wrath. We see how you operated, Lord. You were never impulsive, never. But you had a calmness because you are continually communing with the Father. Oh, Lord, I pray that you help us to learn how to talk with you and be patient, not run ahead of you or say things that we may regret or do things that we may regret, to really know that we don't have to fall into that pattern or continue that pattern. Lord, that we can change so as to be in step with the Spirit. Thank you, Lord. Thank you, Lord. You're God ready to meet our needs. You're God ready to help us in our predicament. You are the Jesus who's near all the time. You're the Lord who's a perfect example. You're the Lord who comes to us and says, don't be afraid. Even when things are boisterous, Lord, and things are upside down. Lord, you've taught us that we should not be overly amazed when you rescue us, when you do miracles because we ought to learn that we can trust you and expect you to do those things because of our connection with you by humble obedience thank you Jesus that if as many as those people touched the hem of your garment were made whole made well there's room for us Hallelujah. All of our requests. All of our needs. You're a good Father. Thank you, Father. We praise your holy name. Lord, I pray that you bless the meetings today. May your good hand be upon your people. From the children to the adults. The presence of God and the word of God the Spirit of God would do something to strengthen everyone and fill us with the joy of the Holy Spirit. We thank you, Lord, for your word. We thank you, Lord, for your victory. In Jesus' mighty name, amen.